All right, while Michael's not here, listeners, I'm going to uh, tell you that I'm going to include his whistling the gamma theme in the episode somewhere, but don't tell him. I want to see if he notices. Shh. Okay. What? I didn't say nothing. I didn't have a secret conversation with the listeners that you wouldn't know about. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Elvis Humberdink. Thank you. Thank you very much. (laughs) You know how hard it is to come up with a weird name for you each week? You know, I don't even know. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. I don't even know why. Uh, you even started doing that. <laughs> I am just putting so much pressure on myself each week. I'm like, man, I gotta, well, I gotta think of a you. crazy name. Talk about you, because now I have to come up with a voice to match whatever uh, ridiculous name you give me. <laughs> yeah, last week, I uh, I culturally appropriated the British accent. This week, I'm doing the same thing. Same thing for Elvis. I mean, what? Well, come on, yeah, got Elvis. <laughs> got Elvis now. Oh, man. got a hunk of hunk of burning kaiju. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that's enough uh, of that. I'm so a hunk of hunk of burning kaiju. Stay, mm. stay, stay on brand. <laughs> what? No, this is a shipping free podcast, Travis. <laughs> oh man, we're already off the rails, and we're just getting started. <laughs> so. Well, everyone, we have got a great episode this week, and we're going to start off by covering just a simple news story. So let's cue the beady beady. Cue the beady beady. All right. So we're going to start off talking about the news by mentioning that we have reached 1,000 downloads for the podcast. Probably about three months ago. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah uh yeah. like we, I think we, t- we just got done recording a patreon episode and we mentioned that uh we switched hosting services like t- uh was it like three months ago two months ago yeah. something like that. somewhere around and, like may i think yeah so from may to now at the time of this recording which what is this is this august the second right yeah mm-hmm. yep uh we are at a we are at 1029 downloads so travis thank you for being such a such a wonderful host for all these downloads. And thank you so much, Michael, for sticking with all of my ridiculousness for all this time. <laughs> I have to take a Xanax every time we record, but it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and to be honest, like I've probably mentioned it before. I've now I've mentioned it, you know, on Twitter and stuff, but you were never meant to be the main co-host of this you know you were supposed to be a guest host and then you were supposed to go about your the rest of your life not worrying I, was supposed about- to just, I was supposed to come on for five episodes and then ride off into the sunset yes and exactly as, as the hero i am as i was supposed to be like um i was supposed to be like godzilla at the end of terror of mecha godzilla and just ride off into the sunset to never be seen or heard from again but 
just as just as the great uh, uh, Al Pacino put it, I thought I was out, and then they sucked me back in. <laughs> yep, and so like the Simpsons franchise that just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and nobody wants to hear or see them anymore. Uh, Michael has stuck around. <laughs> no, no, I do really appreciate that you have been with us uh, with this podcast with me co-hosting because when Steven had to step down for personal reasons, you really stepped up and have just been just irreplaceable on this podcast because there's no way that this, that Kaiju weekly would still be going and especially not going the way it is without your help. So you sure thank that, you so much. Are you sure that irreplaceable is not a euphemism for something? You're irreplaceable. <laughs> to the left, to the left. <laughs> Michael sits to the left. Oh God. Okay. All right. Well, I will say this. It has been a lot of fun. I went back and I listened to some of my earlier episodes. Uh, I listened to Frankenstein Conquers the World, episode nine. Check it out. It's a great episode. Um, and then I, I listened to a few others uh, that we did together. And man, I I'll be honest with you. Those early episodes when we were, when it was just me and you trying to figure some stuff out, they were rough. I will say that. But uh, but yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun. I and I, I just kind of appreciate the opportunity. And uh, you could say that I caught the podcasting bug because of you. So yeah. Well, I'm glad that you did, and I'm glad that you're here. And I'm glad that all of the listeners are here and downloading. And please keep sharing it with all your friends. We're trying to adjust things as we go to make the podcast more accessible to people. But at the same time, we want to have fun and we want to do what we, you know, what we want to do that's going to appeal to us. Yeah, um, I think we're one of the only, what is it? We're we're the only or one of the only actually weekly podcasts about giant monsters. Am I right? Yeah. One, one of the only ones I, I, I can't think of too many other ones. I mean, you, you know, you, you can count Eric and Alex monsters versus men, but they, they record so much in advance that, you know, that's, it, they're not recording weekly. They're recording a bunch and releasing them weekly. Um, but yeah, we, we try to record. I mean, there's been a few times we've had to record ahead, but we try to record every week and yeah. stay on schedule. Yeah we're, least, yeah. we're at least the one, we're at least the only one or one of the only ones. I don't want to say the only one because there there's are probably always, there's a podcast out there that's doing. Yeah, something. There's always another podcast out there. <laughs> um, man, I, that just reminds me of some weird stuff I, I saw on iTunes once, but anyway, um, we're one of the only ones that actually does the news weekly and records it usually in real time. Now we did do a few episodes recently where we recorded like three, four weeks in advance, but you know, we're typically a, an actually weekly podcast. We record this show uh, either on Saturday or Sunday or just whenever we can find time to do it. And yeah, I mean, it, we do it, we do it for the listener. We do it for the love of this uh, genre and this fandom. So yeah, I mean, I don't regret a day of it. Yeah, it, it's it's still one of my favorite things that, to do each week is to sit down and record an episode of Kaiju Weekly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know we actually have an actual news item to get to, Travis, uh, other than just patting ourselves on the back. Uh, so do you want to cue the beady beady? 
Yeah, well, we already queued the BDBD. BD. We'll queue we'll, the BDBD. Okay, never mind. Ooh, yeah, we already queued the BDBD, BD, but we'll queue the BDBD BD again. Maybe we'll do the the Gauss Gauss. Uh, but yeah so the only news story that we're going to cover on the main episode is uh the uh release of the english subtitles for nezra 1964 teaser trailer now this is the same teaser trailer that's been out for a little while uh for this nezra 1964 movie that's coming soon um but they didn't have English subtitles for it. They finally released, released the English subtitles for it. So now you can go and watch it on YouTube. I have a link for it to check out this teaser trailer. All right. Okay. Yeah. I will post a link to that in the show notes, but uh, if it's the same trailer that I'm thinking of that I remember, it's just a, I think it's a, it's a black and white sort of primer for the movie itself. We mm -hmm. don't, actually get to see the kaiju and from what i understand uh there's actually going to be an uh, an actual man in suit kaiju for this film am i right mm -hmm. yep yep there's okay. a suit that has been made for it i've seen the maquette but I, I but a lot of the posts i've seen about the film have all been in japanese and since i don't read japanese very well except when i run it through google translate and a lot of times that's not super accurate but whew, that's a lot of words Anyway, uh, I just assumed that we were. I actually assumed when we when 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 the news of this film first came out, I just assumed it was going to be a documentary. Documentary. There we go. Just like you, mm -hmm. uh, the same thing. It was going to be like the the making of Nezera nineteen sixty four, the lost film about a giant rat, or however or however they wanted to title it. But it's right. actually it's going to be an actual kaiju film, which excites me because I'm always up for some uh, some new and exciting kaiju. Or Daikaiju. Yeah. There we go, Henry. Sorry, Daikaiju. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm excited to see what comes of this. Um, I know that the guys over at uh, Tokyo Lives, they've talked about, because it is the same people who did The Great Buddha Arrival, and The Great Buddha Arrival is another one of those films that it was a lost film, um, that some footage, I think there's only some still images that still exist. Somebody corrected me on it one time when I was when on our previous episode about uh, what counts as a lost film and what, what doesn't. Um, and so they're doing something from what I can tell they're just from the teaser trailer and I, this may be wrong, but it looks like they're doing the same thing with that. They did with the great Buddha arrival where the original film events supposedly happened in the real world and no one knew about it because it was covered up and now it's happening again is what is what happened with the great Buddha arrival. And it looks like they're kind of doing something similar in Nezera. Maybe, maybe okay. not. Right. Yeah. Uh, that, that sounds super interesting. It does. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It does sound interesting. Um, I know Rob has talked about how he, with the great, when he, when he was talking about the great Buddha arrival specifically, he said that he wished they would have just did like a movie about the great Buddha arrival and not had, Hey, this thing that happened in the, in the past, you know, actually happened. And here it is again and stuff like, you know, tried to use basically use what little bit was left of that movie as almost like a found footage type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I, I'm not sure. I haven't seen it yet. I do want to cover it on the podcast at some point. So, uh, we'll no, talk we'll about it because, um, <clears throat> I've already, 
if if it had, if it had come out during our upcoming uh, creepy crawlers month. Uh, I would have loved to have covered it then if we could have got our hands, if we could have gotten a, a, our hands on a copy. Oh, of Nezra. Yeah. Yeah. Nezra would be good for a creepy crawly one. Cause it's, it's just rats. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I'm, I'm looking forward to it coming out. I'm looking forward to watching it. And I know, um, I know we will cover it at some time on the pod. Um, we might cover it so- shortly after it actually gets released. We don't know. We just have to find a way to maybe fit it into the schedule. Yeah, and it just depends on availability and whether we're going to even be able to see it when it first comes out or, you know, whatever. Um, you know, so, the, way, the way things are going, though, Travis, we've been getting our hands on some pretty pretty rare, or at least a good amount. I wouldn't say rare. Probably rare is not the right word to use. Um, we've been getting our hands on a, on a pretty good amount of uh, kaiju and daikaiju and giant monster stuff lately. So I, it wouldn't shock me that it wouldn't pop up on say Yahoo Japan, which or Yahoo uh, or amazon.co.jp, which is mm-hmm. their, which is uh, J- uh, Japan, Amazon. There we go. Words, mm-hmm. Words yeah. tripping me up today. Uh, <laughs> you can, and I've ordered stuff from there before, so you can get your hands on it. Now, as far as like streaming services and stuff like that, I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. So we'll we'll just have to wait and see, and we'll keep um, all the listeners informed as as it uh, as it unfolds. Yeah, definitely. But that is it for the news for this week. If you want to hear more news because you are interested in what's going on in the world of kai of kaiju of giant monster movies, um, if you want to hear us talk about the new line of Polgasari figures coming from Mondo and our opinions on that or what new kaiju film is Arrow releasing you know we've got the people already getting their hands on the Gamera box box set have you I seen know. that on Twitter it's crazy and so what new uh or what other kaiju film is Arrow releasing in an HD format um mm. we talk about it over on Patreon so you can check out our Patreon patreon.com slash kaiju weekly pod and we will be posting a, a um audio of just like 20 minutes 30 minutes of us talking about the news for the week yeah and it's uh the I will say this our Patreon episodes are a little bit more relaxed they're not nearly as structured as say an epi- as actually a formal episode uh Travis and I just like to have a, a casual conversation about the news of the week and so I think that's one of the benefits that people can get out of uh, becoming a Patreon if they if they kind of just want to listen to us discuss with one another the news for the week in a more casual format yeah I I would I want to invite everybody to do that yeah, and on a slow news week, we may even talk about other things, um, you know, like our opinions on some of the tokusatsu shows like Ultraman Z or Ultraman Z. Or yeah, it'll be a good place to uh, sort of um, put all the things that we can't necessarily get to during the podcast, but we still want to share and talk about. So the Patreon is a great place for that. Yep. And whenever I edit the Patreon episodes, I always bump up the uh, playback speed to uh, one and a half so that I can get through it quicker when I'm editing because I'm so short on time. And it is hilarious hearing us talk like chipmunks. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go, listener. A little bit of a little bit of behind the scenes on how 
on how this show I kind really of, I kind of want to suggest that people who listen to us listen to us at one and a half speed because it is hilarious each week when no, I no, no 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 <laughs> I suggest I suggest people listen to us at half speed or oh, man. I li- yeah I suggest people to listen to us at half speed just because I do that sometimes with with podcasts and it's hilarious because then the hosts sound really drunk or sleepy. Oh yeah yeah, they totally do. And I already sound half asleep half the time that I'm on here anyway. So <laughs> all right. So let's get into our main topic. Let's let's stop. All right, let's go for it. So uh we ask a trivia question each week to get us onto the topic and we put it out there on to our social medias and have people answer and then we give them shout outs. So the trivia question that was for this week's episode was what American monster movie had a festival dedicated to it that until this year because of COVID took place annually at Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Okay. What did the listeners tell us, Travis? Well, our first uh, shout out that we're going to give is to Nathan who always gives us a funny answer and he gave us, uh, the monster that ate Pennsylvania. <laughs> you you redeemed yourself from last week, Nathan. Or no, the week before. The week yeah, before. the week before, Orochi. Orochi, he, sent, he just sent Orochi. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah. I, I say you always <laughs> give us a funny answer, and then you don't give us a funny answer. The setup um, was the setup was perfect, but anyway, moving on. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Uh, Jimmy from NASA also sent us uh, a funny answer. He said it came from Pennsylvania, so that's that mm. was a good one. Uh, the guys over at Monster Giant Monster BS sent us Monsters Inc. Not hmm. not quite right, but but thank you for thank you for competing <laughs> or not. Yeah, competing, I, but taking I part. like Monsters Inc. It's a good movie. Yeah, it's a good movie. I have a feeling, and I need to go back and double check because I don't pay enough attention to the giant monster BS guys have been sending us Monsters, Inc. for every question. Uh, and I just haven't noticed it <laughs> because I feel like I've read them, uh, read a thing from them saying Monsters, Inc. before. So You may I- have. It's it's really tough to keep track of those guys. It's really actually tough to keep track of. It's really tough to keep track of the Twitters in general, but it's re- especially tough to keep track of Grattan and Matt. So Yeah, if you guys are actually, and, and I'm, I'm assuming you guys are listening, I don't know if you are listening. If that is what you guys are doing, bravo, because you have slipped it by me and I did not notice <laughs> until now. <laughs> Um, then we had Gamera himself on Twitter said the blob. Uh, and we also had the aqua slug, David H tidy, or I, I, I want to say tidy. Cause I definitely don't want to say titty. Um, I want <laughs> it. I, I believe it's tidy, tidy, tidy. Okay. Uh, and then Mark Myers also said, uh, the blob. So they all got the answer. Correct. Uh, in fact, Mark Meyer said that they still do the movie theater panic scene uh, each year at the festival that we're going to talk about later on in the movie. And I will bring up that in our fun facts. And then just to finish off on a, on a happy note, Danny DeMana from the Godzilla novelization project sent in a movie about a certain gelatinous giant that creeps, leaps, glides and slides across the floor. To which both of us simultaneously <laughs> replied, "So flubber, 
<laughs> yeah, that was that was hilarious because I, I sent that I saw Danny's reply and I and I immediately typed back flubber question mark and then you I think you you DM'd me and you're like, Oh my god, I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, I was just fixing to type that exact same thing when you sent it because we both have access to the to the Kaiju Weekly Twitter and so I was like I was just fixing to do that. Yeah, so that that was funny. So yeah, we're covering Flubber this week. Um, not the original, but the, the Robin Williams remake, <laughs> the better, the better version. Would that count as Kaiju? Henry, uh... Henry, Henry message us, message us. Oh, great. Henry. And tell us, uh, from, it came from a monster movie, uh, and tell us, is that, is, is Flubber Kaiju? <laughs> I don't know. I could probably ask him honestly, but, uh, oh, man. no, that's, that's fine. I just, <laughs> it's funny. Um, but no, yeah. So, so this week we are reviewing the blob from 1958 directed by Irvin Yeworth. Starring Steve McQueen, Annetta Corsat is how I think is how you say her name. I'm not really sure. Earl Rowe, Olin Howland. And the plot breakdown is a mysterious creature from another planet resembling a giant blob of jelly lands on Earth. The people of a nearby small town refuse to listen to some teenagers who have witnessed the blob's destructive power. In the meantime, the blob just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So... Getting into our initial thoughts, Michael, what are your initial thoughts on the blob? Well, um, this is considered the blob is considered one of the uh, one of the original classic monster movies. It's from 1958. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't. It, it's it's after Gojira and some others. But I really I hadn't seen this film in in a long time, and I got the opportunity to watch the Criterion version, which, by the way, is beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's a beautiful remaster of the film. The colors are just awesome. And there's, and from what I can tell, uh, I think we talked about uh, this was filmed in color, not black and white, because I remember this film growing up being in black and white. Yeah, that's what we talked about because there is a black and white version of this film. And so I was trying to remember whether this movie was filmed in black and white and then colorized like many films from that era were, or mm -hmm. whether this was actually filmed in color because the colors looked way too crisp and way too good in the Criterion version to be, to, for to me, to be colorized. And, uh, and we looked it up and yeah, it was filmed in color. So there is a mm -hmm. black and white version, but it was originally filmed in color. Yeah. Well, aesthetics, uh, aesthetics aside, I, I like this film. I, I forgot, I'd honestly forgot about this film. I knew it was out there in the ether as one of the, as one of the classics of the horror sci-fi monster genre. And yeah, I, I'm so, so glad we actually covered this on the podcast because it gave me the opportunity to revisit it. And I'm sitting there like a big kid, uh, like, like I'm watching it for the first time almost because I remember growing up and watching this on like the old TMC and AMC network. Uh, it would come on like late at night or, or later on in the evening, like during their like Saturday matinee or something like that. And yeah, it was just a, it was a, it was a good nostalgia trip for me. Uh, we'll get into some of the details later on in the episode, but overall uh, I'm going to say that I'm going to say that it, it, I enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. This, this movie is, one of my favorite, if not my absolute favorite monster movie. That's not one of the Japanese tokusatsu monster movies. Okay. This, this is up there as one of my all time favorites. I love the blob. I, I remember watching it as a kid and I remember being afraid 
as a kid watching this movie because it was it scared me as a kid uh and but I still I still liked it and yeah it had been a few years since I've seen it and then getting to watch the Criterion version of it it was so gorgeous and so beautiful and like you said it took me back to being a kid and watching this movie and I had so much fun watching it so yeah I absolutely it is one of my favorites and we'll get into some of we'll get in I do have some complaints about it which we'll get into but overall, just yeah. it is such a fun, beautiful film. Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about some stuff that we didn't particularly care for. But overall, I can honestly, I can probably, if the listener hasn't already found out or realized, we both really like this movie. You know, it follows the same formula of like a 1950s teenage hot rod type movie because those are super popular at the time. You know, it's, it's what you would expect from your typical 1950s uh, giant monster film. It's definitely a popcorn movie. It's definitely something that I can see, it, you know, if I was someone back in the 50s, just ne like this is coming out in theaters, I would take my date to, um, I would take my date to the drive-in and she, it was definitely something meant as a, as a date movie for young adults, young people. Yeah. Well, well there, there is something very interesting about this movie. Now, when we're talking about American monster movies and I mean, in, you know, in the fifties and stuff, um, there are movies that predate this. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Uh, there are movies that predate this. This is not one of the first, uh, there, there was a lot of them beforehand. However, this movie was very unique in a few ways that we'll talk about when we get into a little bit more details. Cause I have a few fun facts there, but there was a, there's, there are some things that make this movie really unique, but one thing that helped this movie along was that in the late 50s uh pro well in the from 1955 onward the drive-in movie theaters boomed that was the height of them that was the the drive-in movie theater has never been more popular than between 1955 and 1962 uh, right, i looked sure. it up and that was when this movie came out. This movie came out in 1958. So it came out right at the height of this, of these drive-in movie theaters. And before that movies were going into theaters, you even see in this movie, uh, they would have the spook shows where were these, you know, scary horror, you know, genre films that they would put, you know, late at night or not late, late at night, but just like in the evening time for people to go and watch and stuff. But then the drive-in movie theater, uh, introduced a whole new generation of, monster films and genre films and horror films uh to people because now the the drive-in movie theater was a whole new experience and and movies were being made for that and so i think that the blob is historically and culturally significant because of its impact on filmmaking and 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 the and the culture of people uh because this became such a big hit in the drive-in theaters specifically. Yeah. yeah. You know, there's something, uh, there's something really nostalgic for me about the drive-in theater experience, because I remember going to the drive, because in the little town that I grew up in, we actually had our very own drive-in theater. Uh, it was still functional. It was something they did. They, they put on like a double feature every weekend uh, for whoever wanted to come. Of course, you know, admission was, you had to pay admission, but uh, you know, popcorn was served. Popcorn was free. It was served by one of the local churches in the area. 
And um, yeah, it was just a really fun experience. In fact, I, re I remember my first drive-in movie was with my mom and we watched, um, I think we watched the Flintstones of all things. Mm -hmm. I remember going to watch the, the, the original Flintstones movie with, um, oh Jesus, uh, got the guy from Kong Skull Island and, and Roseanne. What is his name? John Goodman. John Goodman. There we go. But yeah. I remember, um, I remember going and seeing this movie with my mom and we watched the Flintstones, you know, the original starring John Goodman. And it was just, a, it was just a fun, fun experience. And I remember that and, and I can, and I have a sort of a fall and I remember watching sort of films and taking, bringing it back to the blob here. I remember they would put on some of these old fifties, fifties uh, and sixties horror films or, or giant monster films at, during the, at that little drive-in theater we had uh, in that town. And I just remember being able to partake in that experience. And I cannot necessarily imagine what it was like to experience it for the first time because mm -hmm. yeah, I just can't wrap my head around it because you know, we're, we have, we have streaming and stuff like that now. And I have a real fondness honestly for some of the more um, some of the, the, the nostalgia stuff, the, the vintage ways of of watching movies and stuff i i really wish i could have my own like my own film reel to watch old movies on i know it sounds really mm -hmm. silly um and i have my own record player i play records i prefer records over cds you know it's just it's just me yeah um bringing it back to the blob this was definitely definitely felt like a date movie to me it was definitely appealing to uh, young adults, preteens um, at the time. And you can tell by the cast uh, and you can tell by how young, quote unquote, young um, yeah. they are supposed to be. Yeah. Well, I was going to I was going to save this for later on, but since you, you this, you've brought it up a couple of times now, um, there's an article that I read after I watched the movie just to kind of um, do a little research uh, the, and I'll, I'll uh, put a link in the show notes for this article because it's a fantastic article um and it's called the blob a film ahead of its time and it's by uh sam lens or leans uh -huh. um and he talks about what made this movie so significant and why it was ahead of its time uh it was he says and this is a quote from that article the blob was completely different from the other genre films being produced at that time Movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956 and The Mummy from 1959 and the Universal mm -hmm. Monster Flicks of the 1930s. Uh, they all centered around adults, scientists, doctors, etc. These protagonists were stuffy grown men and women and didn't reflect the teens that were going to the movies. Mm -hmm. Teenagers weren't given any attention in the genre flicks they loved so much. And if they right. did, they were portrayed as nothing but a nuisance. The right. blob changed that by making a movie about teenagers. So yeah, I, I just, I think that is very fascinating that this movie was really the first genre film to say, Hey, teenagers are going to the movies. Teenagers are the ones enjoying these movies. Why not focus on them and make them the protagonist of the movie? And think of how much that influenced genre films later on. I mean, just think of all the 80s horror movies that we had, you know, you had Nightmare on Elm Street and and uh, the um, Jason Voorhees, you know, Friday the 13th movies and stuff. And those are all centered around teenagers taking it upon themselves to take out the bad guy, the, the monster. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So that goes back to this movie. This movie originated that. And I think that's really significant. Um, we need to get into some of our likes and dislikes. Sure. So yeah. uh, I know we've kind of, you know, we have talked about some of the positive things. So what are, what are some other things that you liked about this movie besides, you know, what we've already talked about? Uh, aside from all the nostalgia stuff is what you mean. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the blob itself, I, I went into this movie, not with, I'll admit I went into it with low expectations, but it really surprised me. It really surprised me on how effective uh, sort of the miniature scaling and stuff like that was uh, because you really can't even tell um, that this is, you know, filmed on a, on a, on a small miniature set. The effects when the, like the, the, the scene when the blob first appears and it's, and it takes over that man's hand and it just, and you see that really mm -hmm. quick action you're on know, talking about, like it just, it just uh, latches on to that, uh, that farmer's uh, hand and then eventually begins to grow that was a really neat effect to me. And I'm curious as I tried to see how they did it. And I just, I, I can only assume that maybe. Yeah, it was, it was reversed. Yeah. They, they took it, spread it out over his hand and then let it slide off his hand and then reversed that shots uh, yeah. you know, in, in, uh, in the camera. So, yeah. Which is probably, you know, it's not, it's not uncommon now because we've seen it throughout other Kaiju films, other giant monster films. Um, but it, at that time, it was probably a fairly innovative way to capture that effect. Um, I don't know if it was it was necessarily innovative because I, it was something that existed. It existed in and uh, um, monster movies were not the only movies that used that. Like they would use that even in regular uh, you know, drama films, uh, for certain things, they might reverse shots, um, driving in cars, they may have to, you know, film in reverse. So I don't know how innovative it was, but I do think it was utilized really well. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that this. may have been, that, that's, that's a much better way to put it, Travis. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, now I I'm with you. I, I, the monster effects in this are so great. They, they really create just like real moments of suspense and terror. And a big part of that is how simple the monster mm -hmm. is. It's not elaborate. There's no big costume, big suit that has to be moved around using wires or anything mm -hmm. like that. There's no stop motion that you have to sit there and spend hours upon hours upon hours uh, to, you know, moving it just little by little to film and then do. It's none of that. It's just a big blob that they just move around on uh, on set and in the camera. And because of the simplicity of it, I think the special effects for the blob itself hold up even today. Mm -hmm. Like this is 70 years later and the, the blob still looks just as good as it, you know, now as it did back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not a, in fact, I, I really find this movie an effective an effective uh, horror movie uh, mm -hmm. because like you said with it's just a gelatinous blob there's no there's no arms no legs no um, no facial expressions nothing it is just a mindless well a seemingly mindless um just blob of of matter just eat just eating whatever comes in its path and to and and it's such a simple simple idea but it's it's at the same time 
such a simple idea. It's almost terrifying because it's sort of that uh, fear of, of the unknown. You don't really, you don't know what this thing is thinking. You don't know what its mm. motives are. All you know is it's just this giant gelatinous bubble. Yeah, there's no emotions to, to, to read in it. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do really, speaking of the effects and the simplicity of the effects, the, there is a, a fun thing that they did with the, with the blob is when it first appears and latches onto that old man's hand, which again, like I'm with you is probably my favorite part of the whole movie. I just, it's so terrifying because he just picks up this, this, you know, glob of goo and then it suddenly just wraps around his hand and he's, he can't get it off and you don't know what's happening. It's so great. But mm -hmm. when it first shows up, it's actually blue. It actually has like a bluish color to it, almost, almost translucent um, yeah, blue. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And then they actually, and, and this is actually what they did, because uh, I read it in the fun facts. I have it listed in the fun facts. But they actually added red dye to it each time that it ate someone. They added another bit of red dye to it so that it kept getting more and more red as the movie kept going, the more people it ate. So it was huh. almost like for a 1950s movie, that's pretty gory. Cause I mean, like you're, you're talking about like this thing is now getting full of blood and, and mm -hmm. stuff of from its victims. And yeah, it, it's, it's a 1950s movie, so it's not explicit in any kind of way, but, but, from a from a 50s standpoint that's pretty gory to just kind of even hint to the fact that it's it's turning blood red from the the number of people it's eating yeah it's not just go it's not only gory but it's actually brilliant to think to think about it in that way you know kudos to the production team for whomever come up with or whomever come up with that idea or concept kudos to them because that is actually quite brilliant they could have very easily just made it just left it the same color but changed how big it was and they could mm -hmm. have easily just left it at that but they didn't they actually thought it through and that's what makes it's those little details like that that make this movie so good yeah exactly that, that is a good way of looking at there i think there's a lot of little details in this movie that and i i have seen some negative reviews of this movie um uh -huh. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's fine. It, yeah. You're going to get negative reviews on everything. Right. And I think that the ones that I've read, a lot of people don't pick up on those little details because those little details do make a huge difference in the movie. Um, I do want to ask you a question though. Now talking about this movie and we already mentioned how, how nostalgic it is and how everything, because it's, you know, from the, from an era and of a time, it's very much a time capsule from that period. But do you think this movie is dated at all? Uh, yes, but not because of the monster. Yeah, not be yeah, not because of the monster. Uh, it's it dates itself. Um, trying to think of how to word this. It it dates itself in sort of the way the way humans interact. Uh, okay, so I'm just gonna go for it. There's a mm -hmm. scene in the uh, is a scene in the movie where the, this older couple is woken up uh, mm -hmm. in the film and they're sleeping in separate beds. To me, that feels like an outdated thing because that's what people used to do back in the day. Uh, my parents even did that for many, many years. Mm. Um, to me, the movie seems dated, but in the way that like. And, I, and I'm not comparing the quality of the film, but just in, just in the, t the way that it's dated to something like citizen Kane, like citizen Kane. If you watch it, it's dated. 
It's absolutely mm-hmm. a dated film, but yeah. it's still okay. on the list. Uh, you know, people like it is still either the greatest film ever made or the second greatest film ever made. And, and cause it goes back and forth in the top two with um, uh, Vertigo uh, by Alfred Hitchcock. And so to me, this movie does feel dated, but it feels dated in the way that those old classic movies are. It's like, yes, some of the things in here are definitely not stuff that holds up by a modern standard, but you kind of just take it because you, you, you recognize that this film wasn't made with a modern sensibility in mind. It was made with their sense you know, that 1958 sensibility. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to take it with the context within the context that it was filmed in. Yeah. And if you take it within that context, it's not dated. It, it actually, it is absolutely a fun and something that, that modern uh, uh, people can enjoy if you remember the context that it's in. But if you try to apply modern sensibilities to it, well, it's not going to hold up because, of course, it's it's a 1958 film. Yeah, and I like to view these movies sort of as a, um, sort of like a, a, a time capsule, sort of like, mm-hmm. a snap, like, a, like a snapshot into a bygone time in history, you know, uh, uh, Gone with the Wind, Casablanca, you know, classic movies like right. that. Uh, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. Um some of the more class and obviously the blob uh, and, and King Kong and some others mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about giant monsters, but I like to view sort of these classic movies as sort of a, a snap, like just sort of a, a snapshot into, into past history. I know going into them that they're not necessarily going to appeal to uh, a broader, to a, to a modern audience in terms of sort of the, um, the way they address the, the sensibilities, like you said, the sensibilities and the way they address certain issues. But that doesn't mean that some of the, some of the themes like uh, teamwork and um, not overlooking certain sections of the population, just because you mm-hmm. think they don't know anything, not, you know, taking, you know, not taking people seriously because of their age or, 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 uh, or back or, uh, or background, whatever. And, those themes still hold up and there's a, and there's a, there's themes like that throughout some of these classic films and there's themes in this movie, but that's the way I try to view these classic films like the blob and others just sort of just snapshots, snapshots into a, into history, into film history. And, you know, there's a lot we can, there's a lot we can learn from this film as, from the technical aspect. And there's a lot we can learn from sort of the social aspect as well. I think. Yeah. Uh, one thing I think that holds up, uh, nowadays is uh the acting i think the acting in this movie was fantastic especially from steve mcqueen because steve mcqueen was a was he this was his first starring role this was his first film that he had actually you know been starring in and he did a fantastic job now of course his age yeah he's a 28 year old man playing a teenager but there's a moment towards the end where he is actually trying to talk to the entire town and tell them about this this monster that is threatening their town and no one wants to believe him and when the police you know come and he's talking to the police officers and he says look at me am i laughing do i look like i'm playing a practical joke or do i look like i'm scared stiff and that moment of intensity that he has and it was hmm. so great and there's a moment where he starts doubting himself um earlier on in the movie where he's like maybe i didn't see what i saw maybe i am making it up maybe i am you know not you know not and and 
the the female character um played uh, her name was Jane. Yeah, Jane. Uh, yeah, she Jane. she has to uh pull himself you know pull him up by his bootstraps uh because you know he, he needs that kind of like lifting. Um, the thing that I think really dates this film. There are other things that do it too, but the thing that to me dates the film the most is the uh, portrayal of Jane because yeah yeah there's an entire moment in this movie or like the towards the beginning when they're the the hot rodding kind of moment where he gets challenged to a to a race uh you know on the road and, and stuff and there's a good solid like 15 to 20 minutes of that movie where jane just does not say anything she's sitting there she's in the scene but she doesn't say a single word and again if you take it into the context of when this movie came out, that's not that unusual, but I still think it's worth mentioning just because it is something that, that happens. Yeah. Um, it, it's worth, it's worth mentioning. And you know, this is 2020. This, this film, this film came out, what? 58. This is yeah, 58. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously things have changed since then. You have to sort of view this film in the context of the time that it was, uh, brought out to the public where at that time this was the typical this was this was typical i mean it's um by today's standards it wouldn't fly obviously but right in 50, yeah in 58 i mean yeah that was people, the norm people, it was the norm people wouldn't bat an eyelash at, at all yeah yeah exactly so yeah it's worth mentioning but it is something uh something i uh, and going along with that though i mentioned that article um by sam leans or lens uh mm-hmm. And he does mention, he does, you know, talk about the way Jane is portrayed. And he says, while she's not, you know, by a modern standpoint, she's not necessarily great. Of course, it was the 1950s. But she said, by a 1950s standpoint, she had a little bit more agency than other uh, female leads in these Mm -hmm. genre movies. Um, Like we mentioned, when Steve begins to doubt himself, Jane is the one who pulls him up by his bootstraps. Uh, He also mentions how she's the one who makes the decision to sneak out and stop the monster. Um, Yeah, she does. And, you know, he mentions how she basically exists as a romantic partner to Steve. There's still glimpses of a more developed character throughout the film. There's, you know, there are moments and we may, we can talk about too. There's a scene where they're in the diner. And the characters have to basically resign themselves of we're probably going to die because there's no getting out of here now. And she has this really emotional moment where she has, you know, tears in her eyes, but she's not like crying like that acting crying. Mm -hmm. She has just the, the hint of tears in her eyes as she's talking to Steve. And it is such an emotional gut wrenching moment because it's like, they basically have to say, okay, we're just going to sit here and die because there's nothing else to do uh, until they figure something out and they do escape. But it's just such a, she did, she was, that's a, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, go uh, ahead. That's, that's actually, I noticed that too. And it's actually a really interesting moment where you kind of see that a lot with modern films. You see the moment where the, our protagonists finally realize that, you know, we're not going to make it out of here alive. So we have to make the best of this decision that we, we have to make the best of this moment. We're in the best way we possibly can to hopefully save others. Now that is a, that is a, that, that is a really ahead of its time concept 
for a film like this, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and it goes back to the idea, like we mentioned earlier, how, you know, typically in these genre movies, especially from the 50s, they would be scientists or they would be police officers or they would be army men. So they would be the take action kind of people who would figure things out. It's like we're the kind that, you know, they're the kind that's going to figure it out. And us as an audience are not necessarily worried, at least, you know, from my experience, I'm not necessarily worried about them because they're going to figure out how to escape. But these characters are just teenagers. They're 17 years old and they're trapped in a diner that's now covered by a monster that they know can has and will eat anything in its path. Mm hmm. And mm -hmm. they're just like, and they, and not only is it the monster because the monster, because the blob covers the thing, they now have limited oxygen because they're in a confined space with no, with no ventilation because the, yeah. it's being blocked by the blob. So it's like, we're either going to suffocate or be dissolved and eaten. And there's nothing we can do because we're stuck here and we're just 17 year olds who are stuck in this situation and it is such a powerful moment in that movie now of yeah. course they do get out of course they do figure out the way in fact they are the ones who figure out what the weakness of the the blob is so that you know of course it goes back to the trope of the hero always finds a way to escape right. um but i just thought it was interesting at the end of the film though you see you saw all of the townspeople specifically specifically like the young people that were in that theater in that famous in that famous theater scene that you know you see a mm -hmm. lot when you when this movie gets referenced, it was all like young people fighting back against this blob. Mm -hmm. uh, there wasn't a whole, there was a few adults. I saw a few of the adults, I believe, but it was mainly just all the young people that were in that theater yeah. fighting back against this thing, which was, I feel like if I was a teenager watching this movie at that time, I would probably feel super empowered because mm -hmm. of the, by yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I think that, you know, and, and we, we can we can mention how the trope of adults not believing the kids is kind of a, 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 a it's a worn out trope because nowadays we're like if a teenager comes up to you and says, hey, there's something happening and you need to take this seriously. We are more likely to kind of believe them, at least, you know, most people I know are more likely to believe them. Right, but right. uh but you know tropes have to start somewhere and this is kind of an early uh, an early example of that of you know teenagers are in the right and they know what's going on and then the adults are like nah nah you're just you're just and like you said you can watch this film as an adult and still feel like hey the teenagers aren't just teenagers they represent the marginalized voiceless group they're the they're the group that we have something important to say and the people who are in power are not listening to what we're saying. Right. And it's, it's super interesting because at that time it, you know, it was the teenagers, it was the young people that was being marginalized and not listened to. I'm not going to get into politics, but you know, you see, you see those same ideals being um, expressed in films in the modern day too. So, but just yeah. in a different, just in a different way. Yeah. Another, another thing in this movie that I, and then I'll, I want to ask one more question after I say this, sure. then I want to ask one more question, but uh, one more thing that does kind of take this movie from the 1950s and bring it to a modern, to the modern day is one of the final line of uh, the last, actually the last line in the movie when they're talking about as long as the creature stays frozen, they're safe. And so they're going to take it to the Arctic to where it'll stay cold and Steve 
uh, Steve McQueen's character says, yeah, as long as the Arctic stays cold. Now, in the 1950s, I don't know how much global warming was on anybody's mind. <laughs> I want, I don't know. I, that, I noticed that too. And at the end of a film like this, at the end of any film, there tends to be that one line, maybe that's supposed to be an indirect message. Right. So I'm like, I don't know if it was, if it was meant to mean something. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was meant to be like a, you know, well, as long as it stays cold, you know, kind of a tongue in cheek, you know, thing of like, well, of course the Arctic's going to stay cold, but watching it nowadays and knowing that global warming is a thing and global warming, you know, is affecting the polar ice caps. Uh, that is a that is a line that resonates in a whole different way than what I think they expected it to in 1958. <laughs> yeah, I think honestly, uh, I I, I want to just take a shot in the dark and say that it was probably meant to be just a throwaway line at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, one more question I want to ask, and then we can move on to some fun facts because I have a lot of fun facts I want to get through. So. Uh, what is your favorite scene in this movie? We talked about quite a few of the scenes, but what is your favorite scene from this movie? Oh man, what was my favorite scene? Oh God, that's that's tough. Okay, so I'm going to have to go with um, probably the, the scene in the doctor's office um, where they've left the gentleman, they, they've left the farmer in the, in the doctor's office. They've went to go get help. They've went to, poli the, the, to the police station to bring back help. And they come back and the whole, and you know, at this point we've already seen the blob attack the doctor. We've seen the blob attack his nurse. Uh, and they all come back to find this eerie, this eerie sort of quiet scene. The power has been knocked out in the house. And then you get a slow reveal of the blob coming from behind the doorway. And then you, and then you see it it's gotten bigger. It's gotten human size. And I thought for me, that was a really nice, that was a really nice reveal for the blob itself too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's great. I've mentioned that I think my favorite scene, it's a simple scene, but I think my favorite scene is when the blob latches onto that farmer's hand, because up until that moment, you, if you're watching this for the first time and you're not 100% sure how the creature behaves uh that immediately is just such a scary moment and yeah. anybody who's ever gotten their hand stuck in a cookie or pickle jar may will know that 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 fear of having something stuck to your hand and not being able to get it off <laughs> you just you just said that and it reminded me of the other morning i was trying to make coffee and i was trying to get the last that last little scoop in the bottom of the in the bottom of the jar and dummy me, instead of just picking up the jar, turning it over and dumping the rest of the grounds into the coffee maker, I decided I was going to try to scoop it out myself by using, you know, my scooper. But I got my hand caught in the jar, literally got my hand caught in the cookie jar, in the coffee jar. rather. Oh, my goodness. And I had to run it under um, uh, hot soapy water to get it out. Oh so, my goodness. That sounds like something I would do. <laughs> I know. I know. It was stupid. Um, it was just a, it was a duh moment. You know, <laughs> duh, why didn't I just pick it up, turn it over like a normal human being? But 
it was also 5 a.m. and I hadn't gotten much sleep. So, right. You were making coffee. So it was like, I need coffee to think. And here I am. (laughs) Oh, man, that's funny. That's funny. Um, Yeah, it just made me think of uh, Saturday Night Live um, when they do their celebrity Jeopardy. Uh, and they had Tom Hanks on there and Tom Hanks had his hand stuck in the pickle jar and they're like, Tom, Tom, just let go of the pickle. He's like, but, but, I, but I want the pickle. Like, just, just let go of the pickle so you can get this. But, but I want the pickle. Is the pickle worth it? He's like, you don't understand. I want the pickle. I can't let go of the pickle. Oh man. So yeah. Anyway, um, are you ready to move into some fun facts? Yeah, let's, let's, let's do it. Uh, so going into uh, uh, one fun fact that ties in with your favorite scene from the movie, uh, when the doctor is being attacked by the blob and is actually being eaten by the blob that, that Steve sees through the window, uh, there's actually more footage of that death, but that was cut out back in the day and uh, because it was considered too violent at the time really? period. Well, yeah. that, Okay, that doesn't shock me. Yeah, so the fact that they... they and I wish that that scene survived because it would be, I would be fascinated to see what they didn't include because they felt it was too violent. Mm, yeah. I'd be, I'm sure there may be, maybe there's an uncut version out there somewhere of like, maybe if you have the, the actual. I doubt it. I doubt it. In the 1958, I, I doubt there's an uncut version of this movie that exists that yeah, survived. Maybe, maybe you never know. I mean, there's uncut versions of, of um, I want to say there's an uncut version of Gojira out there circling well, around somewhere. Yeah, it, it, maybe, maybe. So I don't know. Um, we did talk about how this movie was um, favorite for drive-in theaters. Uh, it was actually part of a double billing for from Paramount. And it was actually the second film, uh, meaning it was the one that was least popular or the one that they didn't expect to be as popular. Uh, Mm -hmm. So the first movie that was on that double billing was I Married a Monster from Outer Space from the same year. Hmm, Okay. And uh, but early test marketing uh, and initial bookings indicated that a larger share of the ticket buyers were coming for the blob instead of that movie, which I had never even heard of that movie. I, I don't <laughs> think I've ever heard of that either. Uh, so they were coming for the blob rather than the top build movie. So it came, it became the main feature and more money was spent on its promotion. So they, yeah, they weren't really promoting the blob as much at the time because they were pushing this one that had the top billing. And this was just kind of tagged, you know, tacked on with it. But then this one became more popular. So they're like, hey, let's switch them out. <laughs> well, that, well, that doesn't, yeah, that, that doesn't surprise, that does not surprise me at all because this is definitely, I would say word of mouth got out about this movie and mm-hmm. probably uh, teenagers at that time thought, well, uh, do we want to watch this movie or do we want to watch a movie where we're actually the heroes? So, you know. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and speaking of, that you know that we could say that was a a smart business decision or a smart financial decision on the on the part of Paramount. Speaking of smart and not so smart uh, financial decisions, uh, one fact that I found was Steve McQueen was offered a choice: he could get three thousand dollars up front to play the role, or he could get a smaller upfront fee and ten percent of the profits, which is not unusual. That's you know a lot of people are offered that kind of thing. You either get this huge amount now 
or, or big, let's say big, not huge, big an amount now, or take a smaller amount now and risk the, you know, 10% of if the movie is profitable. And that's a, always a risk because you never know if the movie is going to be profitable or not. Uh, now, because Steve McQueen needed money up front for rent and for expenses like food and electricity and other things, um, he went ahead and took the upfront cost. So he was only paid $3,000 to be in this film and didn't take any percentage of the profits. Yeah, but what's 10, let's say, what's $10,000 in 1958? 3000 3000 I'm sorry, $3,000. Let's see, $3,000. $3,000 in 1958, adjusted adjustment for inflation, of course, um, would equal to $27,145 in 2020. Yeah, so that's, I mean, it's not a, it's not a small amount of money, but it also no. isn't. It isn't as huge as what he could have taken. If he had taken a smaller upfront fee and took the 10% of the profits, he would have made a lot of money because this movie ended up making, in 1958, it made $4 million profit. Oh God. That's a billion dollar, that's a hundred billion dollar film. In this, or not hundred billion, Jesus. A hundred million. A hundred million dollar film. Uh, by today's standards yeah yeah so like he would have he would have had huge um now i have read that he was not a fan of this movie he didn't think it was going to be any good he didn't think any but he didn't really even want to be remembered for this movie and for a long time he didn't talk about being in this movie and didn't want to talk about this movie um towards uh, later on in his life and career uh he did eventually warm up to it and actually when he died uh, in the uh, room that he died in, there was posters of movies that he had been in, and this was actually one of the ones that he had on his wall. So he uh, eventually warmed up to it, but I know at first, he, from what I read, he wasn't really a fan of it. And I, I don't think he really took it all that seriously, so that might have also influenced why he took the money up front. It's like, yeah, who's going to, you know, like, I'm going to take 10% of nothing? Yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, it ended up being more than nothing. <laughs> has become over the over the decades of a cult classic now so oh yeah absolutely absolutely um there is a moment in the movie where a a uh, film is being shown in the theater uh it's part of the spook uh the spook show that the uh -huh. kids are going to see uh the movie that's actually uh being shown is an actual movie uh it was uh, originally released as dementia from 1955, the scenes uh, shown are from the recut version titled Daughter of Horror, which had narration added to it. And the voice doing the narration is that of Ed McMahon. Oh, so Ed okay. McMahon makes a weird roundabout cameo in this in this film. <laughs> there you go. If we, ever, if we ever do a redux of this movie, uh, we can always use that as our trivia question. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like the trivia question I came up with for though. What are you talking about my trivia question for? I'm not. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to use the Homer Simpson meme and back away slowly. Uh, just back, yeah, back off, back off. I put a lot of thought into, no, I, I come up with them last minute. Um, but uh, uh, so, yeah. So another thing that's very unique about this film is having the title song. Now, I don't know if you fast forwarded through the opening credits or not, but the song at the beginning is something else. <laughs> well, no, I didn't fast forward to it because I just, I considered it part of the experience. So no, I didn't fast forward to it. 
Yeah. And the reason why it was put in there was because uh, they thought that the movie might be too scary just on its own. So they decided to add a little bit of lightheartedness at the beginning. Uh, so I'm by having this. Because it was not your typical dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. And, and surprisingly, which I, I talk, I talk a lot about this. Um, so if you want to go back and listen to the attack of the killer tomatoes episode, but when attack of the killer tomatoes is that their movie is a satire of a lot of movies that were like this, like the blob and stuff. And of course, attack of the killer tomatoes has a very famous attack of the killer tomatoes theme song in it too. And that comes back to the blob, the blobs uh, theme song actually ended up becoming very, very popular. It uh, topped out at number 33, I think on the billboards back in the day, um, which was pretty good. You know, it did, it did. I mean, for a theme song for a movie did really well. Uh, that was its peak. Um, the song is credited as uh, being sung by the Five Blobs, um, which is actually a huh. fake band because it was right. uh, it was song it was sung by uh, Bernie Knee, and he just recorded his voice five times, and then they just you know combined them together and played them together to make it sound like a a, a harmony, a group. Okay. Uh, but the song was actually written by Mac David and a young Burt Bacharach. Huh. I know who Burt Bacharach I know who, I, I'm I know who Burt Bacharach is. Yeah, Burt Bacharach, he you know, he is a very well known singer and stuff nowadays and uh he was he was an up and coming one. Uh now Mac David is the brother of the person who normally wrote songs with Burt Bacharach. Um, so that's who that was, but yeah, so young Burt Bacharach wrote that song and it became a nationwide hit. So, okay. well, yeah, again, it goes back to the teen culture. This, this movie kind of appealed to teenagers in a lot of different ways. And it also goes back to, uh, it kind of, it's kind of a, um, a precursor to what we get with today's movies where you've got that one title song for a film that winds up on the soundtrack that, if it's mm-hmm. popular enough, it'll it'll come up on it'll come on uh, the radio. Which I think the one the first the the uh, most recent one that comes to mind first is the one with um, uh, Lady Gaga and uh, Brad Cooper. Brad Cooper. Oh, uh, Brad from, Cooper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, from their uh, A Star Is Born remake. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that is a that is a thing that even continues now now to this day. You're right. Um, and then of course I want to talk about because we mentioned it at the beginning with the trivia question is Blob Fest. Now Blob Fest was a festival held at the town in the town of Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. It was started in the year 2000. And the reason why it's held at Phoenixville is because that is one of the filming locations for the movie, and it's held every year. It was canceled this year because of COVID, but it has been held every year since 2000. Uh, And activities include a reenactment of the scene in which moviegoers run screaming from the town's colonial theater, which was the theater from the movie. So you can actually be a part of that scene because they'll play the blob in that theater. And at a certain point, you know, a certain day they, you can run out and everybody runs out of that theater screaming, uh, as a reenactment of that scene. Oh, that and, sounds 
<laughs> yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. And the Colonial Theater was uh, restored back to the way it looked back in 1958. So the theater actually looks the way it did back then. And it's the original theater from the movie. That's, uh, the, uh-huh, go ahead. That, I was going to say, that's, that's actually really cool. I was Googling how far away Phoenix, uh, Pennsylvania is from from even where I live. Well, while you're doing that, I'll go ahead and say that the chef's diner that you uh, that you see them in that same that scene that we talked about at length in uh, our review uh, that is actually in a different town that's from Downington uh, which has also been restored back to the way it looked back in 1958 and is open for business oh, so nice. you can actually yeah. go to that diner and you can take pictures of the basements on weekdays uh, weekday mornings you can go and take pictures of the basement where they were at during the where they filmed uh that scene that's awesome and phoenixville uh just just because i was curious phoenixville's only like six hours from me oh that's not bad no that's not terrible not terrible yeah. maybe a maybe an on location kaiju weekly yeah <laughs> that'd be fun <laughs> listeners support us on patreon because listen i love the blob uh, it is one of my favorite monster movies, and I would love to go to Blobfest one year. And if you give us just $1 a week, uh, no, no, but it, it really, if you support us on Patreon, it, you can give us the opportunity to go visit some of these places and some of these festivals and, and cons that we wouldn't normally be able to, like G-Fest. You know, we, I would love to go to G-Fest and, and go to Blobfest and all these things. And, and the way we can do that is through support from Patreon. So if you guys can do that, we would love to have that support to be able to do these things. Yeah, and we would definitely, you know, it wouldn't just be us taking a trip. It would be us working on behalf of of you, the listener, to bring you um, interviews and whatever else we can find of interest there. Yeah, absolutely. And also um, something else that's fun at this Blob Fest that I really want to see. Uh, so the actual Blob itself, the, the you know, uh, prop, for lack of a better word, that they yeah. made is it's a mixture of red dye and silicone and it has never dried out after all these years. So what I we was say? wondering what it was made of. Cause I remember you mentioning to me uh, in the DM that, mm -hmm. uh, that it was still soft. You could still, it's still squishy. So yeah. I'm just kind of wondering what it was made of. So it had, I, I figured it had to be some kind of silicone mixture. Yeah, it has never dried out after all these years, and it's still kept in the original five-gallon pail that it was delivered in when it was shipped to the production company in 1958. So <laughs> that's really interesting. But where it's on display is it's put on display over the years as part of the annual Blob Fest held over a three-day period each summer in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. Cool. So yeah, you can you can uh, uh, go and see the original stuff. They also have uh, displays uh, of some of the miniatures that were used in shooting. Um, like I said, they do the uh, the famous reenactment of the panicked theater goers. It, it's just it sounds like so much fun. I would love to go to it. It sounds like a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, that's it for the fun facts that I have. I mean, there were a few other little small fun facts, but uh, we're running kind of long. So I want to get to our Godzuki scores and our final thoughts. 
So now we're going to move into our Godzuki scores. For anyone who is not familiar with the podcast or this is your first time listening to it, we like to score the movies out of five Godzukis because we like to pay homage to the great Godzuki, Godzilla's bumbling nephew from the Hanna-Barbera cartoon of the 1970s uh, by using him as our yardstick to measure these movies. <laughs> yeah, we sure do. So, Michael, out of five Godzukis... Uh, how many Godzukis would you give the blob? I'm going to go ahead and give this four and a half stars, which puts it up there with... Wait, wait, stars? Where did stars come from? Oh, oh I'm sorry. Four and a half. Oh, boy. Okay. Four stars. And a half. I don't know of any stars around here. Oh, I'm sorry. Four. There are no stars on Monster Island. You're right. Uh, <laughs> But there sure as heck is a Godzuki. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and give this movie a uh, four and a half Godzukis. Uh, simply because of for how much influence this film has on the genre itself. I, it deserves to be right up there. And it's not a bad movie in itself. It's actually, it's very, very rewatchable in my opinion. You know, I feel like the acting is good. Uh, the blob effect is, is great. And even it holds up even to this day. I think some of the miniature work and some of the set design is fantastic by, even by today's standards. Um, and it's even, it kind of blows my mind a little bit because considering when this movie was first made. Um, and as, as an, as a, as, as an influence as ugh, words. Okay. Back up. <laughs> and as much influence as it's had over the years on the horror giant monster genre, I have to give it four and a half stars, which I believe puts it right up four and a half. Godzukis. Jeez. What am I doing? today? <laughs> Four and a half Godzukis. I must be. I must be trying to think about my letterbox uh, score already. Yeah, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Four and a half Godzukis, which puts it right up there with. I think War of the Gargantuas has uh, four and a half as of this moment for me. So yeah. Mm. Well, you know what? I'm going to. Um, give it the same score I gave War of the Gargantuas too, which if you're not familiar with the podcast, War of the Gargantuas was my first five and a half, uh, five out of five Godzukis. So I'm going to give this, I, I, I was going back and forth because I'm like, well, there are some things in here that, that I think are, that could have been done differently or that, that I think don't hold up by today's standards. But then the more I watched it, I was like, you know what? No, I'm going with five out of five. Even with the things that I think are dated by today's standards, like the way they treated the female character, reading that article that I'm going to link to in the description made me really appreciate that, you know what? Even for its time, they actually were doing more with the with the female character than, than what uh, other genre films were doing. So I just, I'm like... I don't, I don't think there's anything I would change about this movie. I think the movie is, is excellent the way it is. Um, here's my final thoughts. I wrote them down so that I could keep it concise. A spectacular monster movie and a must-see for any monster fan. This movie should definitely be viewed from within the context of the time period it was filmed. However, I feel like this movie holds up in a way that very few 50s creature features do you think about other creature features from the 50s like uh it came from beneath the sea 
it does not hold up as well as this movie does. No, I think, I think uh, the simple right. Yeah. 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 Uh, the simplicity of the monster means the effects hold up after all these years. The few complaints that I have for the movie are minor and a, and really go back to the fact that the movie was from the 50s and is a bit dated. The Blob is not only a historically and culturally significant film, it's darn enjoyable to watch even in the modern day. For sure. I personally yeah, I personally would consider this movie for the monster for the monster movie Mount Rushmore. Like if you were making a Mount Rushmore of monster movies, I think you have to put Gojira. Because oh, yeah. Gojira is the is the created the the kaiju genre uh you have to put beast from Twenty Thousand fathoms because that movie inspired gojira it is the granddaddy you know of of all of these monster movies i think it's you know definitely gotta be on there and of course king kong because king kong is in some ways the original giant monster movie that we would not have any of these without the original 1933 King Kong. But I think that because of its impact on American monster movies and American cinema in general, uh, the blob should be up there with, with those three, the other, other three movies. Yeah. I 100, I, 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 that is, that is not a, uh, a far off assessment there because I think all of those, all those characters would definitely in some way, shape or form make the top, Five, or top five. Yeah, there we go. The top picks for any, if we were going to do any kind of Mount Rushmore monument to the Kaiju genre, I mean, that that's, that's as good as list. That's a great as list as, as any, in my opinion. Yeah. Now I do think it's kind of weird if we were doing a Mount Rushmore of these monster movies, I don't know how well the blob will translate into stone. <laughs> you see Godzilla's head, you see the beast from, you know, the, the Redosaurus from 20,000 fathoms, you see King Kong, and then you just see, Oh, oh. is that just a rock? Yeah. <laughs> it's just a smooth rock. <laughs> oh man. Yep. So that's our review of the blob. We hope that it wasn't too much, uh, too much rambling and stuff there, but we both really enjoyed this film. So we did. Yeah, it was absolutely, it was fantastic. And I, I stand by what I said. It's absolutely rewatchable and I'm sure I'll watch it again at some point. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I want to sit and watch it now. Just talking about it. I'm like, I, I kind of want to watch it again. <laughs> um, so let's, let's get into our next segment. Do you know what the next segment of the podcast is? Surprise me. It's the mailbag segment. What's in the mail today? So we've got a letter that was sitting in our inbox for a while that I overlooked and it's completely my fault. I didn't see it at first. And then we kind of got uh, the last couple episodes were running long, so we had to cut it out. But uh, I'm going to take the time just to quickly read through this email that we got from a very special, special listener. Special in so many ways. I think I know exactly, exactly this letter you speak of. This person is, let's, yeah, I think you're right. Let's just say he's special. This person is special. He's special. He's special. And the letter comes directly from David Marshall of the Kaiju Apostle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, poor David. Oh, no. Um, So I'll read it and and then I'll I'll let them, you know, uh, it comes from Jimmy from NASA, um, who, if anyone is not familiar, Jimmy is the 
Intrepid. I, I, Intrepid. Yeah, that's the Intrepid, Intrepid. Yeah. producer of Monster Island Film Vault podcast. I was going to say foul mouth because he's always beeped, but that's just the way he <laughs> communicates. <laughs> um, so he sent us a, an, an email telling us, um, talking about our Atragon episode. So I'll go ahead and read that. Okay. It says, hey, fellas, when I heard or rather deciphered that you were covering Atragon in your next episode, I knew I had to share my crazy story about that big, beautiful ship. So <laughs> back in the back in the 1980s, during my early days at NASA, I had to research the Gotengo as part of the design phase of the Goten, which is if anybody's not familiar, Jimmy uh, worked on the Goten, which is the ship from the movie The War in Space. No. Yes. Yes. The war in space. The war in space. <laughs> I always get war in space confused with the battle of, from outer space. No, it's uh, the war in space. Yeah. War in space. So yeah. Uh, uh, so anyway, um, I'll keep on reading. I know Jimmy's going to skewer me. <laughs> so he said, I learned that the Gotengo was still housed on the island where Captain Jinguchi built it. I went there and met the good captain along with Makoto uh, Susmu and their three kids. After refusing to get off Jinguchi's lawn, which is what he called the entire island, I asked him if I could examine the Gotengo's blueprints and take it for a flight. He said no and punched me in the arm. It hurt more than it should have. So I did what any good U.S. Air Force NASA engineer would do. I snuck back onto the island in the dead of night and borrowed the Gotengo. <laughs> to this day, it's one of my all-time favorite flights. Sadly, I didn't get it back by daybreak, and Jinguchi continued to channel his inner Eastwood. By that, I mean a gun may have been involved in our negotiations. <laughs> I was forbidden from returning to his island. <clears throat> Fast forward a few decades, and I returned to that island to ask if I could add the Gotengo to my garage on Monster Island, and to my shock, old man Jinguchi is still alive. I don't know if he's dipping into Nick Fury's Infinity Formula, or if he's just too stubborn to die. But he once again forbade me to come anywhere near the Gotengo, and the same gun may have been involved. So there it, re so there it remains, for now. I mean, Jinguchi can't live forever, right? And I survived the infamous war in space, so I should be able to outlive him, right? <laughs> so, and he said, and remember, Michael, first we're going to rock, then we're going to roll. <laughs> Sincerely, Jimmy from NASA, producer of the Monster Island Film Vault. Oh, boy. Thank you, Jimmy. <sighs> Thank you, Jimmy, for that. I, oh, boy. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, next week's trivia question <laughs> is what monster film was kept under wraps so well that the title was not even revealed until four to five months after the first trailer came out? Hmm. Hmm. So secretive that even the title of the movie wasn't revealed until four or five months after the trailer. So if you want to answer that question, or if you want to send us an email like Jimmy did and have it read out on the podcast, you can do that at kaijuweekly at gmail.com or on Twitter at kaijuweekly. Uh, and yeah, so that's the way to get in touch with us. 
Thank you to everyone for listening to this episode. If you want to follow the podcast on social media, I already mentioned the Twitter, I already mentioned the Gmail, but you can also follow us on Instagram at Kaiju Weekly Pod. Uh, you can send questions, comments, or answers to the trivia question to our email. You can also find us at the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group, where we will also be posting the question uh, for this week that you can also comment on there. Also follow Michael at Kaiju Groupie Pod and the Kaiju Groupie on Twitter and Instagram. A big thank you to Brian, Shijir, and Thorax for supporting us on Patreon. You can also support the podcast and help us reach our goal of going to Blobfest one day and getting to see the still semi-liquidy blob that still exists in that original bucket. Uh, you can support us and make our dreams come true by uh, going to patreon.com slash kaijuweeklypod. I don't, what kind of dreams are we having that our dream is to go see a bucket of goo? Uh, that, that's my dream. I can, <laughs> listen, I have a dream. Oh, God. That one day I will get to see the big bucket of goo. Oh, boy. Zigoo. I must see Zigoo. Oh, boy. <laughs> this episode's going on for too long. Let's Let's wrap it up. Okay, so before we go, I just want to say if you also want to support the podcast, there's one more way you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. We will accept nothing less than five stars. You can criticize us all you want in the comments, but it has to be five stars worth of comments. You can, If you do that, we promise we will read your feedback on a following episode, and it will also help put us in front of other Kaiju and Tokusatsu fans just like you. Yep. And to close out this episode, I'm going to say, help control the giant blob population. Have your goo spayed or neutered. <laughs> How is that even possible? I don't know. <laughs> bye, guys. Uh, bye, guys.